This podcast explores the commonality between our DMB brothers and sisters to demonstrate the true strength and depth of our family. We have all shared the soundtrack in our best and worst moments, and with that fact, we argue that we're never truly alone when the music is playing. So sit back, relax, and welcome to the best of what's around. Welcome to DMB On Demand. Time, weather, and Hey friends, Bridget again. We're here with another episode of DMB History. This time we're going back to 2007 and 2008. In early 2007, Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds played a series of European and U.S. dates, including an evening at New York City's Radio City Music Hall, which was released as a CD and DVD later that year, entering the Billboard 200 at number 3. Live Tracks Volume 8, a 2004 DMB show from Alpine Valley, was released in February. Dave Matthews Band played its first shows of 2007 at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada in March. Both concerts were subsequently released as the four CD live tracks volume 9. The first live tracks release of a show outside the U.S. May 25, 2007, Pavilion Atlantico in Lisbon, Portugal, marked the 10th volume in the series. After European and Australian dates, Dave Matthews Band launched an extensive U.S. summer tour that culminated with two nights at the legendary Hollywood Bowl. The tour had included the band's third park concert benefiting Atlanta's Piedmont Park, where DMB performed for 50,000 fans and were joined by the Allman Brothers Band. The concert was released as a CD and DVD later that year. In September, Dave Matthews Band joined John Mayer, Phil Vassar, and Nas for a concert for Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. The concert was conceived as a way to help students, faculty, and other members of the community move forward in the aftermath of the tragic events that had transpired there in April. DMB became one of the first artists on Facebook in November and DMB Mobile launched in late 2007, offering official DMB ringtones for the first time. In early 2008, Dave Matthews Band began working in the studio with producer Rob Cavallo of Green Day and My Chemical Romance on its seventh studio album. Guitarist and longtime friend Tim Reynolds played on the album, marking his first recording with DMB since 1998's Before These Crowded Streets. The group headlined the inaugural Mile High Festival in Colorado in July. Dave Matthews Band, Live at Mile High Music Festival, and two other concerts, DMB, Blue Note, Columbia, Missouri, 10-22-1994, and DMB, Town Point Park, Norfolk, Virginia, April 26, 1994, were released later that year. Volumes 11, 12, and 13 of the Live Track series also came out in 2008. On August 19, 2008, Roy Moore passed away from complications stemming from an ATV accident, which occurred just days after the band's June 28th show at Nissan Pavilion in Bristol, Virginia. The loss of their brother and founding, mem- founding band member was a devastating one for the group. While both mourning the loss of Leroy and trying to celebrate his life, 
Dave Matthews Band soldiered on, finishing the last few tour dates. Thanks, guys. Time, weather, and... Always! Well, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, this week we have C.J. Mitchell with us. You may know him as a uh, the operator of Daily DMB. I'll tell you before um, before we launched or relaunched our Twitter, I talked to one of my good friends and I told him that I, I had a little bit of hesitation because there's people out there that. You know, they're already doing the lyrics. They're already doing the shot for the merchandise and whatever. Um, and my friend's advice was basically, there's room for everybody. Go ahead and jump in and do what you do. And people will love it or hate it. That's up to them. You can't control that. You can only do your best. And so I did that. And, you know, I didn't know how people were going to take it that had already been doing something similar. Uh, and, and CJ is absolutely phenomenal. Not only did he seem to give his blessing for what we're doing, but he also shouts us out when he does his daily lyrics now and again. Of course, we retweet it every time. And his game is straight. He's been doing it so long that, that the smallest lyric is going to get a, a substantial turnout or a substantial likes and retweets it's pretty amazing so the fact that you've been doing that for so long uh, is impressive because some people will start a project and a month later or six months later it falls off it takes uh, some real patience and discipline to do something consistently for so long so that's just one of the facets that i really like about our guest today um, he is very well spoken I have a feeling it's going to be a great conversational style interview, and I'm pretty excited to jump right in. So, CJ, before we get into the music and DMB and everything, I want to kind of round you out as a person. So, take a few moments to introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe talk about your profession and your past in the Navy, uh, your interests, your hobbies. Just, just kind of round yourself out. Um. Thank you, Drew. Um, it's a pleasure to uh, speak with you and meet you virtually uh, for the first time. Um, a little bit about me, and I think I've met a lot of DMB fans that uh, um, that know me a little bit. I spent a career in the Navy, um, almost 30 years, um, and my field in the Navy was uh, was people and uh, leadership and human resources. Um, I retired from the Navy and I've been an HR executive for Comcast and now I, uh, now I work for Amazon in HR. I have a side hustle as a online college professor as um, I have a PhD in organizational leadership. So I am also Dr. CJ, which would have been, you know, if I was a keyboardist, which would have probably been a pretty good name. Uh, to be in a band, 
my interests um, probably beyond Dave Matthews Band um, include obviously uh, live music, um, a lot of music, and um, all my family is musical. I have very little musical ability, but I also love cooking. I'm a bit of a foodie. Um, I love movies. Uh, I'm a movie quote kind of guy. Um, I like a lot of travel as well, uh, and that's a part of my DMB journey: is going to different places and trying to experience those places um, a little bit. So um, that is. I'm also um, African American. I'm black. Not many of us as uh, Dave Matthews Band fans, and uh, but I've. I, I love the family. I love the warm embrace of the DMB family. And uh, I try to share all of those interests wherever I go with DMB and the folks that I meet. Fantastic. Uh, just curious, you spoke near the end about your love for music. If you had a chance uh, to turn people on to one non-DMB band or singer, who would you choose? Oh, that's, um, there are no absolutes in the world. And um, I, there are some old ones and some new ones. Um, there's a Irish folk singer by the name of Billy Bragg uh, that I very much love. Back in the day of alternative music, I was a big fan of uh, The Replacements. Um, I, I think that's uh, a great group there. And then, I, I tell you what, I think Dave and the band, almost anybody who opens for them, um, I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of uh, Lake Street Dive and um, that's probably where uh, I could leave that. But there's just, it's hard, you know, when you sit with me after a show and I plug my iPod in, it jumps all over the place. And uh, people are surprised by how do you mix that in with DMB, um, everything from R&B to even country. Um, my musical taste is eclectic. And I just ask people to um, enjoy the music that speaks to them whether it be the lyrics or the musicianship, um, yeah, I kind of jump all over. But those are some folks that jump, those are some bands that jump right out at me that I like exposing people to. Okay, and folks, if you want more information or how to find the music that he mentioned, um, just hop on over to dmbondemand.com slash podcast or look at the show notes from wherever you're streaming your podcast. And, and in the show notes, there'll be links to help you find musicians that, that he spoke about. Um, all right, so let's get into the DMB part of it. Uh, basic stuff up front. So your favorite DMB song and why? And I realize that it's kind of an impossible question. So if, if you could just go with the one that throughout the years has stuck out as, as the favorite, that would be just fine. That is such a tough question. Um, my favorite DMB song is probably Crush. And uh, that may be a surprise to some people, but that song has meant so much to me over the years. 
and it's enduring whether you're listening for me whether you're listening to the album version or any live version uh, it speaks to me on so many levels obviously like a lot of Dave Matthews songs it's a love song and it's a very passionate love song so it's a great song to sing to somebody or to sing about somebody and that passionate love there um, the other thing I like about that song is that it's uh, a jam song. So it is anywhere from, uh, you know, a 12 minute, 13 minute version. And I think there's some 20 minute versions there. And the jams are eclectic. They're all over the board. You know, I've been live, I've been on the rail and I'm like, is this a rock song? Is this a ballad? Is this jazz? Is this blues? And all of that is stuffed into one song and I absolutely love that about this song because the whole band gets an opportunity to jam and put their spin on it and really get off and I think one of the first times I saw this song live is the band plays this song and they're doing that jam I honestly believe in the long version they forget there's an audience they look at each other playing off of each other they're having fun and so for me that's what ties this song together I've had people walk by my office when I had an office and this song is playing and someone will walk by and go who is that and I'll say it's Dave Matthews and I said wow I've never heard him rock out like that and then a couple minutes someone come by later and says oh wow that's a great jazz band who's that jazz band you're listening to and I said it's Dave Matthews and it's all in the same song so uh, that's why I love Crush so much. Now, throughout my fandom of Dave Matthews Band, there's lots of other songs that I've chased, that I've loved, that have spoken to me in the moment. But the one that has probably endured the most is Crush, whether live or just listening to an album version. Yeah, you know, there's, there's some songs that when they start, they they reach out and grab you and they get your attention. And I'll tell you, every time I hear Stefan on those first seven notes on Crush, but I'm dun 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 dun, every time, whatever I'm doing, my mind stops and just focuses on those first seven notes and the and the jam that's getting ready to come up. And like you, I'm a, I'm a fan that lets them stretch their legs and expand and just have fun with it. And such an amazing thing to be able to, to, to see from the audience or even you know listening in your in your house um all right so we touched on the favorite song let's jump over to your favorite lyric so if you have one that sticks out um his lyricism is amazing so i know that's kind of tough to pick one but if you had to pick one lyric as your favorite what would that be and, and kind of break down why that's your favorite one To tell you how important this lyric is to me, I want to put it into a little bit of perspective. My last job in the Navy, I was um, the force master chief of the Navy Reserve. I worked out of a window office in the Pentagon that overlooked the 9-11 memorial. My job as the force master chief required me to be the chief people officer for 60,000 sailors and their families. Wow. 
and um, with 125 facilities in 50 states and two territories. And at any one time, I had 5,000 people, 5,000 of that 60,000 deployed around the world. The Navy is certainly a family in and of itself. And part of the reason why I love Dave Matthews Band is this DMB family that we have, that whenever we gather, it's about love. It's about escapism all together. And um, I've seen 45 shows, but I've probably had tickets to another 50 shows. And especially after 9-11, world events either canceled shows for me that I couldn't go or my duties and responsibilities in the military prevented me from going. And there have been times when there have been, you know, Dave Matthews band tours and I've been in the Persian Gulf or I've been in Afghanistan <clears throat> or some other places around the world. And my job was so high profile in the Navy that when I retired, I had about 500 people that came to my retirement ceremony. And there were a couple of people there that I consider my personal DMB family. We've seen, out of those 45 shows, we've probably seen maybe 20 together. And in the program that I had, it was a 12 page program for my retirement. Um, and I had some things written in there, Bible verses and Martin Luther King quotes. Um, but what I wrote down there that spoke to my military career and that family and spoke to DMB is my favorite lyric. And it says, turns out where, not where you are, but who you're with, that really matters. And that speaks to your natural relations family. It speaks to my military service. It didn't matter whether I was in Afghanistan or Persian Gulf or, you know, off the coast of Africa, what really mattered, it didn't matter where I was, it mattered who I was with. And the same thing goes for DMB. It doesn't matter what venue you are, whether you're on the lawn or on the rail, what really matters is the people that are around you and their strength in that. And there is resilience in that. And why that speaks to me the best of what's around is that's how I feel when I'm at a Dave Matthews band show. I'm with the the best. I'm with the best of of what's around and we're all kind of leaning on each other. And uh, that's my favorite Dave Matthews band lyric. You know, I have kind of a, a side story for that lyric. Um, Turns out not where, but who you're with that really matters. Um, I've spoken a, a couple times in previous episodes about the fact that my wife and I, we travel for a living right now. I can do my work anywhere there's an internet connection, and she is a traveling trauma nurse. So every three to six months, we kind of pick up and go to a different part of the country. And the, and the point is to explore the country before we settle down with, you know, getting a house, having kids and her company pays for all the lodging and the stipends and and so we're just kind of going around the country and getting paid to do it which is fantastic and uh, 
there have been a couple times where I'm really, really homesick, and no matter what I do, go to a movie, hell, even go to like Universal Studios or whatever, that's when you start, at least for me, it's, it's the homesickness can start to grow. But I'm really lucky that I found my best friend and married her because even if we're on the road for a solid year straight and we're across the continent, I still feel like I have a sense of home because she is my sense of home. And the same thing is reciprocated from her to me. So I absolutely agree. It's, it's not where you're at, it's who you're with that really matters. And, and right now with what we're doing for our careers, we really put that lyric to the test and it comes out of passing with flying colors every time. So do you have a favorite uh, band member? And uh, if you do, why is that one your favorite? I think I do. And I, I think it's Carter. Um, one, I don't have any musical ability and I wish I could. And I think if I did have musical ability, I think I would want to play the drums. Um, and the other thing that I love about Carter, and it's probably any drummer for any band, he really is the heartbeat of the band. And I've seen the band enough times to see the, you know, the, the concentration and the reflection, and quite frankly, sometimes the moodiness of something. You can tell when, uh, you know, when a band member's not into it or when they're not engaged and, and or they're not engaged with the audience in that particular night. Um, but Carter <laughs> is always, always energetic, always smiling. To me, sometimes it seems like he's sometimes even holding back a little bit. Like he could really, you know, do drum solos and fills for every song. Um, the way he engages with the audience and, you know, who couldn't fall in love with Carter back in the day when he would throw sticks and give sticks to little kids. And I have a couple of stories there. Um, back in the days when I used to uh, go to the rail, um, I remember every instance when Dave, or excuse me, when Carter gave me or threw at me um, drumsticks. And I think the first time he did, we made this eye contact and I caught it and I, you know, I just made eye contact. I didn't go crazy, I didn't faint, but I made an eye contact with Carter and he did that world famous point and then fist pump and I gave it right back to him. And uh, for those of you that follow um, daily DMB and I, and I encourage you to do so and, and interact with me, it's just me. So if you're, if you interact with that page, um, put comments there and I like, or I follow up comments, you, you know, it's me. The picture that's there is Carter actually handing me a stick before a show. We got to the point in our relationship when he was doing that, that he wouldn't throw them. He would walk to the edge and actually hand it and put it in my hand. And my favorite story about that is it was getting towards the end of my Navy career. Um, because I moved around in the Navy, I don't really have a home venue, but I've seen a lot of shows at Virginia Beach. 
And I had a Naval Academy football jersey made, uh, number 41, of course. And I had Beaufort put on the back of the jersey. So when Carter walked out to start the show, I hold up the jersey, lower it so he can see my face, and then I hold it up again before the show starts. He doesn't walk behind the drum set. He walks over to me, takes the jersey, holds it up, and then hands me the two sticks that he was going to start the show with. He handed me two sticks. Show hasn't even started yet. And I turned around and I gave one of the sticks to the daughter of a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in years, happened to see him in the pit, and gave him um, and gave him one of the sticks. And then I turn around and Carter just points at me and gives me one of those fist pumps again. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if the jersey's the right size. I've never seen him wear it. I'm not sure if he's using it as a rag when, you know, when he's cleaning the kitchen. But that is uh, a bond that Carter and I um, share. I've never met him beyond the interactions that I'm talking about. When he does see me when I've been on the rail, he still gives me the point and the fist bump. But if I could go to a baseball game or play golf or hang out after the show with somebody, um, it would be Carter. That's really cool. Uh, honestly, man, that's pretty awesome. Uh, earlier, when you were talking, you were talking about the band and Crush and how they were getting off. And uh, that's the exact phrase that, that I use when I'm talking about the song I heard that made me a fan. It wasn't the first DMB song I heard. I had heard Crash and Ants and stuff like that on the radio satellite. But this is the first time I was on YouTube and it was the first time I was seeing anything live from the band. And it was at West Palm Beach in 2008, I believe. They did this podcast, this uh, broadcast of it online. And Dave's voice is shot. I mean, even just talking, he sounds, it's creaking and cracking and groaning. And then they start playing this song. It's a tiny, tiny little song. Just a few chords and, and he's humming a little bit. And then it gets to build and build and build. And he gets to the she said, she said, she said a thousand times. And by the time that song peaks, the whole band is getting off musically. And Dave, you can go on YouTube and see this American Baby intro, West Palm Beach. He is in so much pain, his face turns purple. And by the time he's done letting out the scream, he is doubled over at the waist and he's not even by the mic anymore, but he's still screaming. He just gave everything he had. And that, that made me a fan. So my question for you is, is there an experience that you've had that turned you from, okay, these guys are all right, to holy shit, I'm in? It was a... It it was a progression. So, um, and I think a lot of people have this experience and it's, it's witnessing the band live that transforms your fandom, whether you're seeing it on video or when you're seeing it in, you know, live in person. 
So I had heard Ants on the radio, you know, listening to back then in the 90s, we called it either college radio or alternative music. And I had heard Ants, and it was such a unique sound. I'm not even sure if I knew there was violin. I mean, it just, you know, it was just an, a unique sound. And then I saw Dave Matthews Band on Saturday Night Live. Now, back then when I'm younger, you know, younger in my 20s, um, my, you know, Saturday Night Live was kind of, I was starting my professional career, still watched SNL. It was still fun. And I saw the band for the first time. And I was like, look at the diversity of the band. Because you don't get that on the radio. You don't get that it was... You know, Carter, Leroy, and Boyd, and then Dave and Stefan. You're thinking, well, this is a college, you know, these are, you know, you know, you know, this is when grunge was going on. You know, hey, is this like a Nirvana, you know, like band? Because you're hearing it, you know, you're hearing it on the same radio stations. And to see a band with such diversity, I said, okay, now it's taken, now it's taken me to another level. And they played Ants again. So you saw the diversity of the music, violin mixed with horns, with, you know, with just one guitar and um, drums and a bass. And you're like, how can five guys make so much music? How can they make so much? <laughs> I jokingly say, how much can they make so much noise? How much music can you get out of five people? And then, Fast forward, not that long, fast forward to the summer of 96, I think, or maybe summer of 97. I, I should know this cold. I should know exactly. Um, I see my first show. And I'm. it's Horde Festival. It's in Southern California. Lenny, the Horde Festival headliner went Lenny Kravitz, Dave Matthews, and the Blues Traveler. Um, hot as it can be. Um, I'm probably way too drunk because it's I'm having a good time. I'm actually a week later I would have deployed for six months. This is my only time to see this band before I deployed for six months. And there, and it's an outdoor show, festival, you know, festival set. And right when satellite starts, the sun goes down and the stars come out. And I look up and Dave is singing satellite and all of these stars. And I'm watching the band and I'm saying to myself, not only are these the most appropriate lyrics for the moment, not only is this band more into themselves and into the music than they are in the audience, but you actually, I was actually able to witness a little bit of what you talked about, the commitment to the music, but their musicianship. And I said, the reason why this band is so good is their virtuoso musicianship. They're some of the best in the world at what they do and they're together and to see Leroy play three or four horns in one song that's not some guy who taught himself how to play the saxophone in his garage 
that's a musician. And the poetry combined with that and their commitment to, like you were mentioning, Dave's commitment to the performance and his commitment to the lyrics, every song they put their hearts and souls into. And when you see that pour out at a live show, that progression from hearing ants on the radio, seeing them live on TV, and then less than a year later, seeing them live in concert, I said, I'm all in with this band. <laughs> I am all in. And I was a Grateful Dead fan. It was kind of very similar. Um, and I was all in. And I said, every time I get an opportunity to see this band live, I've got to do it. And that's the progression of how I got sucked into this band. That very first show and witnessing what I saw on TV and what I heard on the radio manifest itself into something so powerful it sucked me in. So anybody I say, hey, I like DB, I have Crash, I have, you know, I have this album, I say, go see them live and embrace it like the band does, and you'll be hooked. Fantastic. Um, so when I went to my first show last year, I, uh, I saw thousands of people and they were all in this, you know, like a rapture of joy. And uh, it made me want to get to know everybody and find out their stories and see what we have in common. And, and that's what brought about this podcast. But even beyond the show, you know, there's this subset of people that are hardcore fans. Um, they can tell you, you know, what Boyd was wearing during two-step in 1999 at, you know, the gorge. And I'm not, I'm not that good with my, with memory. So I'm not that guy. But then there's also the second subset where it's a community or a family and people are genuinely kind to each other and they practice the love that the music preaches. They do so through their actions as well sending out love bombs and and being there for people and you get to these relationships get established and it doesn't matter where you met them at a show or maybe you just talk to them on social media and this bond grows but there is a definite family uh, for this community and it seems to be unique so my question to you is especially since you do daily dnb which means that you get to interact with people uh, on a much broader scale than most others and you've had exposure to this DMB community for quite some time now can you tell me was there anything that kind of brought you into that community of DMB or, or was it gradual and and what does that family mean for you well well just like most things it was gradual um the way it started is the way Daily DMV started was I was actually following on my personal Twitter. I was following a, and you were mentioning it earlier, some people start these things and they kind of fade away. It was another account called the DMV fan page. I haven't gone to the website in years. They haven't tweeted in years. It was a couple and I was following them. And then it started for me. I was wake up in the morning and I think I had you know, Dave Matthews band on my alarm. And I would just say, hey, wow, that's a great lyric. I would hear that and I would tweet it in the morning. 
And they said to me, uh, they just sent me an instant message or direct message on Twitter saying, hey, you ought to do this every morning. And I said, well, I'm not sure if I want everyone to know, you know, who CJ Mitchell is. I had a high profile job in the Navy. They said, why don't you just create a separate, uh, separate Twitter page like we do? You know, we're John and Susie, but you know, we're, we're DMD fan page on Twitter. So I did, and then sure enough, I started getting followers and people started following me. Hey, thank you, I wait. This is the first thing I look at in the morning and it gets me, you know, my mindset's first song I listen to is the song you tweet in the morning. And then I started interacting with people and then by a a weird twist of fate, um, I did the, I did a DMB run where they went from Charlotte to Virginia Beach to Bristow. And I think I tweeted out, um, hey, I'm, I'm flying solo. Where's everybody hanging out before the show? And I got all of these interactions of people saying, hey, come hang out with us in the lots or we're gonna be hanging out here. We're staying in this hotel, where are you staying? And I met some people and when they met me, they go, hey, you're daily and some of them still call me daily you might know my name cj mitchell they still recognize me as daily as a as in daily uh dmd and from that created a core group of friends where we shared experiences those times in the lots or waiting for uh waiting in the pit line to go to the rail you just share your stories and you share your experiences with people and you have this common bond of, of the music. And it's interesting and maybe I'm pretty sure there's a, and I'm, I, I, I can't remember the lyric, but maybe it's Gray Street, but it talks about how we're all more alike than we are different. So it didn't matter that I was in the military and it didn't matter that somebody else was a doctor. It didn't matter if someone else was a 911 dispatcher. It didn't matter that someone else was a full-time student. When we all started talking about music and all started talking about our love for DMB, we were all the same. And that's why, and as someone's almost a little bit older, so I just turned 52. Um, and I remember I've met Jerry, the bus driver for Dave Matthews band. And we've talked about his driving. We've been to some of the same shows cause he used to drive for the grateful dead. So there's always something in common you can have with somebody else. My personality is, is I've never met a stranger. So going to a DMB show where I already have something in common with everyone they become like family right away because we all share a similar love. So what brought me into the community was starting the Twitter, uh, the Twitter page daily DMP. Uh, that's what brought me in. But what it means to me is that I've never gone to a show alone, even though I might've been the only one in the car. And I certainly leave with more friends than I started with. Every show I go to, I meet somebody new. And we create this bond. And because of social media, we're able to connect right there. Right there in the lots, right there in the pit line, right there in the pit. Hey, you're a cool guy. You're a cool person. We, ha- we share a bond. Let's connect and keep this going. 
because you want that experience of a show to last forever. So that's what it means to me. Very well said. And folks, if you go to their show notes, there's also going to be a link there um, for Daily DNB. I highly suggest that you give it a click and, and give that account a follow and, and get your daily dose of, of DNB lyrics. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I look for it each day myself. Um, all right, so shifting gears a little bit, going a little more abstract. If you could pick one DMB song, and this time it has to be just one, to let each human on the face of the earth listen to and understand, just one song, what song would you give as that gift to humanity? And, and why was that the song you would want them all to hear? Um, that's, that's the hardest question of all. I mean, I, I can't think of anything harder than the one song to share with the world. I, um, when considering this question, uh, a lot jump out is, um, shoot, do I want to show the poetry of Dave Matthews and his lyrics? Do I want to highlight the musicianship in a, a small band that can sometimes sound like an orchestra? Do I want to highlight that? Do I want to highlight, you know, it's so, so hard. And I think I gave you an answer previously, and it's so hard, I, I can't even think of what I told you earlier when when we communicated before um, the interview. Um, I think I would go back to an early song. Um, man, that's hard. Um, I think I, I, what jumped to mind first is, and I'll just go with my first thing, is is, is probably Trippin' Billy's. It's an early song. Um, it's kind of got a, it's a positive vibe. It's a positive message. Um, great um, lyrics about being together with your friends and having a good time. And I think the, it shows the unique sound of Dave Matthews. Um, I wish I had something more eloquent than that, but I, you know, I could add to that list. If, I, if a better question for somebody like me who's been a fan for so long, and, and uh, I don't have many bathroom songs, and Dave Matthews fans that have been following on social media or been to shows knows what I mean when I say bathroom songs, but the. It would be easier if you said, hey, create a playlist for any you know, then I could say, OK, I can take you on a journey, an emotional journey, and I can speak to a variety of different things in a playlist. But one song, I, I, I guess I'll go with Trippin' Billies. That's the, but that's an incredibly, incredibly tough question. That's harder than what's your favorite song. But great question. And I wish I had something more eloquent and more and more profound to say. <laughs> No, you did great, and uh, it was definitely a unique choice. Uh, we've had that question a few times in previous episodes, and we get, you know, number 41, we get Warehouse, we get Mercy or Gaucho. Yeah. Uh, but going with an upbeat song with a positive message, I think, is, is a really good, good way to go. So, all right, the next question is, again, a little more abstract. And, 
I'll give you an example. I'll use myself. So if I were to sit down and play some songs for people, I, if I played them the song number 27, number 41, and Warehouse, if you listen to those songs and you understand those songs, then pretty much you understand me. Those are the three songs that best represent my life experience. Uh, so as you get to know them, you're getting to know me. So what three songs gives your story? What three songs, if you played for people and had them understand that song, kind of best defines your life experience? Uh, great question. And thank you for giving me three songs to kind of uh, take folks on a journey. Um, being in the military and um, being a, um, a son and unfortunately a father of divorce. Military life is very tough on families. My parents were divorced. I'm divorced. Um, been around the world, been around the United States. Um, there's been, there's been heartbreak and there's been recovery. So, and there's also, I think those experiences and some of the situations I found myself in, in the military, there's also been kind of a resilience built, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing. So for me, in that kind of three song, you want to understand me and my connection with DMB is for me, 27 is a part of that list. Absolutely. Um, the first time I ever heard, I chased, the, chased that song for a long time. And um, all right, wait a minute, I'll, I'll, tell it, I'll tell that story a second. The next song is probably Pay For What You Get is the first um that summer of 96 when i first saw dave matthews band live and i had the cd and and i wore it out i was going through a breakup and so that song was particularly um, appropriate um for that and then probably um jimmy thing I know there's a lot of people down on Jimmy thing, but um, when you're going without, when you're going through a breakup, when you're going through hard times and you think about, hey, what I want, I want things, but I can't have them. Uh, but what I need is all around me. And we all know what Jimmy thinks about, but for me, it can be much more philosophical than what people think Jimmy thinks about. So probably those three songs. But I want to go back to 27 and the emotional connection I have with 27. And I tweeted that out the day after my birthday um, because that song is so powerful and so meaningful to me. So let me tell, and there's some people hopefully that listen to this podcast that know this story because they're part of my personal DMB family. It was night three of the gorge of 2018. And um, night, or you know, the day of before night three, you know you're leaving the next day. So um, one, you want to kind of touch base with everybody you've met over the past couple of days. You kind of want to blow it out and you're expecting a great set and you're trying to see a bunch of people. So I was walking around the gold campground with a pitcher of margaritas 
and a fistful of solo cups. And I just wanted to, you know, hey, here's a marg, uh, you know, here's a, here's a margarita. Let's connect. We're all leaving tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon to to fly back to wherever we came from. And um, so after walking around the gold campground, I I had a fistful of solo cups still, but I had an empty pitcher of margaritas. <laughs> and the way it turned out is everybody was doing the same thing I was. No one wanted a margarita, but I felt obliged to have so much fun and drink all of that, that full pitcher of margaritas. Well, it's an hour or two before, hey, let's start making our way into the venue. And as you can imagine, I got violently ill, sick. Hard to admit for a grown man, but I got college dorm frat party drunk and throwing up. I thought I was gonna die. It was extremely hot. I literally crawled under an RV to find shade. And I was there sharing an RV with three other people. So sure enough, it's six o'clock. It's time to go into the show. And, I, and I, I'm like, I can't make it. I can't recover. And um, I gave, I told three other people, and they wanted to stay and take care of me. I'm puking my guts out. They carried me into the RV, threw me into one of the beds in the RV. And I said, you guys better go to the show. Don't miss the show. I'm gonna sit here and pass out and just be drunk as a skunk puking in a bucket. You, I will not let you miss the show to take care of me because I got too drunk. <laughs> and I begged them to leave and they did. They left. An hour, I, I passed out for a while. They left me with Gatorade and the bucket and a towel. And I started to feel better. And I started to feel better. And I started to feel better. I take, I take a quick shower and I felt better. I drank a bottle of Gatorade and I said, I think I can make it. And I struggled and I stumbled. And you, anybody who knows the walk from wherever you are on the planet to the venue in the gorge is an adventure in itself. I made it into the show, found my friends in the back of the rail, literally moments before the lights went down. Night three, Gorge 2018. Song two was 27. I had been chasing it since the first time I ever heard it. I didn't know it was gonna be played. And I cried, I sang the lyrics as loud as I could, and I was crying the whole entire time. So to know C.J. Mitchell is to know that story, to know those three songs. And as you mentioned earlier, Drew, the power of 27. I can't begin to tell you how much I appreciated that story. So it's my personal favorite song as well, 27. And haven't met anybody that that really understood that song. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I very much appreciate it. That song, it, it saved my life. Before, before I was the man who I am today, I was somebody totally different. And I dealt with a lot of inner conflict, a lot of it. And 
that song when I heard it the first time. It was a cold, snowy day. I was outside waiting for a bus. You know, cars splashed up on me. And that song came on, and for the first time in my life, I felt like it was okay to be conflicted. That that it's it's fine as long as you're on your road home. As long as you know your way home and what home is to you, you'll be all right. And uh, I know that's not doing it justice, but that song saved my life without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, so I, I really appreciate and grateful to have heard your story and see that that, that song also touches other people. Uh, I think it's not as often than other songs would be. Uh, everybody can kind of identify with the, the more popular songs, but that 27, man, and it's criminally underrated. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, it, it's just underrated beyond belief. So anyway, thank you um, for sharing that story. That that was, I had goosebumps and I was almost in tears when you were talking about you being in tears. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> It's transcendent for sure, and uh, you know, and that's honestly that's all we're trying to do here is is things like that. Um, when I went to my first show last year, and all these people, and I'm looking, and you know, I saw a few people crying during certain songs. I saw the elation of of the crowd, and I just wanted to get to know everybody that I saw, and uh, I kind of jump-started okay let's do a podcast and we can get some stories on record and let people have a platform to share their music and share their stories and see how we're all similar or different and so that's exactly why we started this Um, all right so i'm gonna dig a little bit deeper for some personal stories as we start to wind down we're going to cover both spectrums of life. We're going to cover the good days, the best day, I should say, and possibly the worst. I think we're going to start with the worst, um, and then, <laughs> then end, wrap it up, or start to wrap it up on a positive note. So, um, without going back into it, if I were to sit down and tell you about what life was like, uh, up to hearing number 27 uh, and then you know if I were to tell you what the song Deed Is Done means to me and how it relates to my depression and my bipolar disorder then you would better understand what I went through so kind of the same thing here with you you have a, a, an experience in your life of a negative one that sticks out among the rest that either a DMV song impacted right there in real time or a song that when you look back at that event it gives it some perspective um it's probably um great question for me it's probably um I've had heartbreak and um you know, kind of like this band and my experience with this band and my love for live music, I fall and I fall hard. And for, and I've seen people cry at shows and I've seen how um, some people react 
when Stay or Leave is played. And for me, it's never been Stay or Leave. But my worst moments in terms of loss, no matter what that loss is, is probably Some Devil. And the key lyric there being, you know, you said always and forever. And I couldn't agree with Dave when he says that's a really long time. <laughs> and so when I hear that song, it takes me back not just to the, you know, emotional or romantic breakups. It takes me back to any loss, you know, my parents' divorce, lost friendships, um, lost service members that I've served with that, you know, died in combat, friendships that I've had, you know, loving friendships from high school or college that are, that are now gone. Um, it's not always a reassuring thing. But it's one of those things where, when I think about Dave Matthews and I think about the lyrics that he writes, I think, and when I heard that song, it's like, finally, somebody gets it. And Some Devil for me takes me to that place. And the only comfort there is wow, I think Dave was in that place one time. And this is how it becomes a cathartic, therapeutic experience for him to put it on paper, to put lyrics to it, and to put music to it. And the fact that Dave plays that solo now, I've never seen a full band, Some Devil, I don't think. But when Dave comes out and it's just him, his guitar, and a spotlight, I feel like I'm right there. I'm like, I've been there. You've been there. We've been there. And um, it gives, you know, to your point, to your question, it's gives context to that experience. Um, and it's like a therapy session hearing some devil and reflecting on loss. So I'll be totally honest with you. You just said something that I am going to steal and, and use. Uh, <laughs> just going to be very upfront. You, uh, if I had to, to Play something for somebody to understand what it is we're trying to do here you just explained it in spades and especially the three lines and I swear to you that I got goosebumps when I heard them because it encapsulates what we're doing with this podcast I've been there you've been there we've been there right there that's yeah. that's what it is that is what we're after right now um, to share our stories and maybe have a bit of catharsis, like you said, but to realize that I've been there, you've been there, we've been there. 
So if you don't mind, I'm stealing the hell out of that. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's let's flip it to the opposite end of the spectrum and, and start to close out with a little bit lighter topic. So the same type of question, except now uh, a good day, one of your you know benchmark banner days of life that either a DMB song impacted or gives you some perspective when you're looking back at that good day. That's uh, that's also hard because there's so many. As you know, we talk about Dave Matthews Band, and we'll mention you know um, that you know, like I talked about, stay or leave. Uh, you know, you, you talk about um, some devil, and there's obviously angst. You know, with some Dave Matthews, you talk about Halloween, and there's sometimes there's anger and angst, and we've all had to deal with that. But on the flip side of the coin, there are so many songs that speak to the positive energy of family and love and and what it gives for you. Um, the easiest thing for me to do would go back to Best of What's Around. Um, you know, it reminds me and takes me back to being around good people, whether it's, you know, whether it's at a barbecue, whether it's you know, and I'll tell people this and anyone who listens to this that's a veteran and it's been in a war zone and, and, and it's you and your buddies and that's all you got, you know, just as, as much peril as you feel that you could be in, there's certainly a lot of good times there and a lot of positive memories and bonding experiences. Um, I'll cheat and I'll say best of what's around takes me to those moments. I'm a people person, being around people, like I said, whether it's a barbecue or a church service or in the pit line, um, it takes you back to that. Um, but I really think what encapsulates it really for me, and it's kind of pandering a little bit, is that song, Good Good Time. I haven't heard it that many times live, but whenever I hear it, I was like, okay. Yeah, we're gonna have a good, good time. We're all together. And it, and it kind of ties it all together for me. And whenever that song comes on, it takes me to a positive place. Every time I've heard that song, I've been around different people and it applies to all of those situations where you've been around good people and had good experiences. And Drew, I want to tell you, I know you, know, you, you say you went to your first shows most recently I'm going to steal this from you. If anyone asks me, hey, what is doing the podcast like? I'm going to say it's exactly like sitting in one of those fold-up chairs in the lot, Dave Matthews band playing in the background, maybe somebody scraping on a guitar, and someone going, hey, where are you from? How many shows have you been to? And what do you want to hear tonight? Right. And talking about you know, those conversations, as you mentioned, I just want to kind of go back and double click that. The reason why this conversation is so easy and you'll probably get a lot of fans that want to do this, especially now we're not going to see the band until 2021, is someone who's been to 45 shows. This is exactly what happens in the lots. This is exactly what happens when you bump into somebody in the airport, you're flying to a show and they're wearing a Dave Matthews Band t-shirt. You have this kind of conversation with somebody, and and again, it's it's that bonding agent. It's the connective tissue between all of us that not only you know Dave Matthews Band 
fans don't just love the music. They just don't love the band. They love the experience and the connective tissue that binds us all together with a catalog of, I don't know, 250 songs. So Good Good Time for me is one of those, is one of those bonding agent songs that ties people together. I could go to Pig too, Don't Burn the Day Away. It's, there's so many songs. That's the hard, again, maybe the second hardest question is just, you know, kind of which song puts you in the most positive place or brings those positive memories or connected to positive memories for me. It's probably all the songs I've mentioned, <laughs> to be honest with you. But um, I'll probably pander to my first choice, best of what's around, and my second one's probably good, good time. Okay, perfect. Uh, all right, so let's. You just talked about the experience in the parking lot tailgating and talking to people, and then you also talked about the shows you've been to. Let's take it a step further. Let's put you backstage. Um, you're out of the, the campground, you're out of the venue, you're backstage, three couches there, big spread buffet, you can grab a snack or whatever, and then before you know it, all of the boys come in the room, they take a seat, and they're sitting there and you have them for a minute or two. What do you tell them? Um, <laughs> first, I would thank them uh, for what they do. Um, I would tell them that I am in awe of their musicianship and their virtuosity and how they play and that how it appears to me that they love the music and each other as much as we do. And I would also mention today specifically that as an artist, um, I think he's a poet. The way he can speak to, his lyrics speak to such a wide swath of people. Um, and then I would, I would, you know, I would gush and say all those things. But then I would probably ask a question. And the question I would ask is, how can I be a fan in their eyes? You know, I think with daily DMB Twitter page and DMB on demand, I'm an advocate for, for DMB. I try to show people the poetry of the lyrics and show the diversity of the playlist and the eras and all that. But I would want to know and hear from Dave and the band, hey, to be a fan of DMB, to be a great fan of DMB, do this. And I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure if they want something else from a fan like me, but I would want them to tell me that. And I think it would be and I, I, I would like to speculate about what they would say, but I would really want to, and maybe they would say, hey, everything you're doing, or it's individual, do your own thing, enjoy it in the way you want to, bite-sized pieces or in whole chunks. But I would want to hear from them about what being a fan of DMB means to them and what that looks like for them.
I'm gonna note that down. We um, without going into many details live on air, we actually have a line out to two of the band members, and they have expressed interest in coming on to the podcast and what we're going to be doing um, if we get that opportunity is we're going to kind of flip the scales and, and turn the whole table on it and find out okay so we've been talking about what this music does for us in our life and how we as fans fit into the the message of the music and what we want to do when we have the band on is hear their unique life experience and find out what the fans mean to them. So turning the tables on it. And um, I have a growing list of questions that I want to ask if given that opportunity. And what you just said, I think, is in, it wasn't on my list before now. It's, it's going on there to find out, you know, what in your eyes from the band, what in your eyes, you know, makes a great fan. Because their perspective is totally different than ours and I want to I don't want to assume anything going into an interview with them so I think that would be a really good question to add in there so that's number two of stolen items today so <laughs> yeah um, all right so if you sat down with somebody and they knew nothing of the music absolutely zero you couldn't play him a song. You had to verbalize it. How would you explain the overall message of the music to somebody who had never heard a single note? To somebody, and I think I've, I've talked around this a little bit, what I would tell people who have never heard the band, when they ask me about Dave Matthews' band, I'd say, imagine five or six of the best musicians that, you, that are great at their particular instrument. Put them together in a, to create a, a unique sound that transcends genres, that transcends definition. Is it funk? Is it blues? Is it jazz? Is it rock? Is it ballads? Mash that all up together with lyrics that are poetic, that speak to love and yearning to love and the perils of love that is relatable to males and females, young and old. And that's Dave Matthews Band. It's the only band in the world that can cover and interpret Prince and ACDC in the same song. It's the only band that can play all the stages at Jazz Fest. They are completely unique, but at the same time, relatable. And that's why I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is both a slam dunk for them and a challenge for them. Because they're so unique, you can't classify them as rock or pop. And because there's no imitators or duplicators, because they're so unique, 
people will argue their influence isn't on other on music isn't like other bands like you know Pearl Jam or Nirvana or Green Day. But at the same time, that's why they should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they're so unique. Couldn't agree more. Not at all. All right. So the final thing we do when we bring a guest on for the podcast is just let them use the platform for whatever they see fit. So this is your chance to plug away um, anything that you think deserves plugged for the audience. Uh, some people shout out their social media handles so people know how to find them. Um, and others talk about some charities that they like or organizations, whatever the case may be. Um, the floor is yours. Take your time and just tell the folks what you think they needed to know. Well, first of all, Drew, thank you so much for this platform and thank you for everything that uh, D&B On Demand does. Um, Twitter pages and sites like yours, you can tell that it's a passion project for you and your love for the band and your love for connecting people and, and fellow followers and lovers of the band. Uh, comes through loud and clear. Um, Daily DMB is a, is a Twitter page that's exactly the same thing. To bring people together, for people to interact and discuss. I've never blocked anybody. I've never censored anybody. And I appreciate all the follows and all of the interaction. And I hope it only grows. So please come to Twitter. Um, and, and find me at uh, daily underscore DMB. Um, it's a good time. <laughs> it's a good, good time and have fun. I believe in connecting people and I believe in people being together and working together. I do have a charity that I am on the board of trustees for and it's called United Through Reading, utr.org. I believe is the webpage. And what United Through Reading mission is, is connecting families through reading. Um, when service members deploy and we have Skype and we have cell phones and we have FaceTime now, but one of those fundamental activities that gets missed out on is mom or dad reading stories to their families to their kids as they go to bed because mom or dad is overseas in Afghanistan, in Iraq, um, in Syria, or just on a ship um, in the middle of the ocean somewhere. So United Through Reading's mission is a cross-connect of families reading to each other for deployed service members when they can't do it in a traditional manner. Leveraging technology to connect families and keep that special bond and maybe that nightly tradition of reading a story to your loved one as they go to sleep. I encourage people to check it out. It's a great way to support military. It's a great way to support military families and keeping their connection going 
through what can be very, very tough, tough times. I very much look forward to meeting people face to face. I hope we get this country and this world back to a time where we can hug each other and embrace each other and say, hey, it's great to meet you. And as we're doing virtually right now, share our stories, find a bond, find a link and stay connected. And again, I don't remember which song. I keep wanting to go back to Gray Street. I don't know. But Dave has said lyrics like, hey, we're all the same fundamentally. We're not that much different. And we do all celebrate love in every culture, in every religion, and everywhere around the world. And that's what this band's like. And I can't wait to be live at a show, in a parking lot, in a seat, in a pit line, in the pit, maybe backstage, <laughs> and celebrate love as a group again. Thanks again, Drew. Yeah, no problem. I think uh, the two the two songs that come to me when talking about being all the same, one would be Ants Marching, We All Do It The Same Way, and then the other one would be Squirm, where he says, and you'll see Naked and Afraid, We Are All The Same. Um, those are the two songs that pop up in my head when you talk about the similarities between us all. But um, CJ, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. I really enjoyed the conversational flow. Um, it wasn't a clinic QA, 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 which is fine, but I think the message comes alive a lot better when it's a, a conversation. We are going to be doing something um, in season two here that is a little bit different from season one. We're going to be adding a new format to the episodes. It's going to allow us to bring people back onto the show and have another session with them without redoing all of the same questions. So the way it'll happen for the second time is that uh, a guest and I will pick a song together and we'll take some time to think it over and, and make some notes. And then we'll come on for an hour on the podcast and we're just going to go line by line down that, that song and share what those lyrics mean to us to kind of compare and contrast our similarities and our differences and let the audience kind of see the same thing in their life. So I would absolutely love to have you back on uh, for a second time and when season two comes up shortly. Uh, I'd love to have you back for another episode if you'd be willing to do that. Drew, it would be my pleasure and um, I think that's a great approach to, um, to a second season and to really kind of uh, wrap our arms around and dig in deep to a particular song and experiences that we've had with that song. Um, I think that would be uh, something very interesting to share with the DMB family. I look forward to the opportunity. Hey, thanks for coming on again. Um, you were really well-spoken and transparent, and those two things translate really well with the audience. So I know there's going to be quite a few people who really enjoy uh, this episode, myself included. Um, 
before anything else, I'm like you said, I'm a fan of the band and everything of the band. And so sometimes I can step outside of what I'm doing, look at it and appreciate it from a different perspective. And that's the same with podcasts too. I, I enjoy, listen, it's a privilege to be able to talk to so many people and hear their story. It, it can be overwhelming at times, but uh, I do enjoy it. So thank you for coming on today and sharing your life experience. And I look forward to speaking to you again at season two. All right, so is there anything that you can think of that you want me to edit out, or were you okay with pretty much everything as far as context goes? Yeah, I'm fine with everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Okay, good. Me too. Me too. I'm, I, I can't think of a single thing I want to snip out, and um, the launch date is still a few weeks out, but one thing I do... Uh, let's see, we ended up at an hour and 16 minutes. Not bad. I figured it was going to go a little longer. Um, but that's just a good, good full-length episode. Um, sorry, I forgot what I was talking about. Holy crap. You, yeah, you were saying something about like, hey, in, in a couple of weeks, you're going to do your editing. and. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And- so in a couple, the, the episode won't be published for a couple of weeks. I got a couple people ahead of you that have already recorded. But I do edit the um, interviews and the, or not edit the interviews I, I compose the whole thing with the music soundtrack and, and all the notes before and after way before so you will have a finished product to be able to hear well before the day that we publish it so uh, no worries there you'll have the finished version before anybody else so you can review it excellent all right. Do you have any? I, yeah, I hate the sound of my own voice, so, I'll, so that'll be a struggle. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I'll listen to a little bit, but uh, to hear yeah. my own voice is. Oof. I'm the same way. It's torture. It's torture. Trying, I can't even imagine trying to listen to these episodes and edit them, and I hear myself. I'm like, ah, oh, come on, Drew. You're better than that. <laughs> better. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. All right, man. Do you have any questions for me? No, not at all, Drew. It's it's been a pleasure. Um, you know, I don't know what your plans are, or will you where you will be for 2021. I live in the Dallas area now, working for Amazon. You know, I I um, well, it's, I'm it's planning. That. It's funny you mentioned that our our next two stops are Colorado and then back to San Diego. But then after San Diego, so in about nine months from now. We're actually making a stop, a three-month stop in Dallas area. It's, it's pretty good. Well, if I'm still here, let's hope uh, that we can meet. And um, yeah. And I think hopefully a year from now, maybe um, you know it'll be 2021, and maybe we'll be able to meet at a show. So that would be um, yeah. obviously everybody's preference, certainly mine. Um, but uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, and I hope that this helps your Twitter following grow. Um, you know, I started, you know, I don't know, maybe five years ago, and I was excited when I got to 100 followers, and now I have over 11,000. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so um, we'll certainly do what we can to help promote you. I did know 27 was your favorite song. I do tweet that song on Fridays normally. Yeah. And uh, so it just aligned out perfectly, because I, 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 if you notice, I try to, I jump from album to album. Mm-hmm. And I, yep. it takes me months before I repeat. And um, I kind of reached ahead and pulled 27 to yesterday. So to kind of put us both in a mindset for today. So Nice. Um, very nice. Well, well played. So there's a method to my madness. <laughs> yeah, well played. I like that. 
Alrighty, well, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Please be, uh, please be safe. And uh, you're in San Diego now. Uh, I'm in Santa Monica right now. Oh, you're in Santa Monica right now. Well, I love Southern California, and Santa Monica is a great place to be. Yep. So, um, if you get a chance for you and your bride, just north of Santa Monica, um, or maybe, yeah, just north of Santa Monica, maybe just past Pepperdine, there's a uh, right there on A1A. There's a restaurant called Neptune's Net. You ever heard of it? I've seen it when we came into town. I've seen, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've never been there, but I've seen it, yeah. Okay, do you know um, Neptune's Net? Do you know the history behind that place? No. It was the restaurant that was um, a part of the Fast and Furious very first movie. That's where they met and were eating before they did like their last, like, you know, when Dom was like breaking out as a criminal. So it was actually yeah. in that movie. Seafood is, it's good, but it's a great view. And you're actually at a place where that was in uh, Fast and Furious, Neptune's uh, Net. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to stop by there. When we came into town, when we first moved here, we we were coming in from the north, from Washington. And I remember distinctly seeing Neptune's Net on our way here, right on the coast. Yeah, we'll check it out. Check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the suggestion. No worries, my friend. All right. Well, hey, I want to thank you two for coming. I, I really appreciate it. Um, not, I don't know, not everybody is comfortable uh, sitting down and talking about their life. So when I have somebody like you come on that's open and concise and, and well-spoken and wants to share it, it, it really does mean the world to me. No worries. No worries at all. And I appreciate you sharing with me, too. So... Um, we've all, like you said, you know, you know, you've been there. I've been there. We've all been there. Yep. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, you have a good rest of the weekend. All right. All righty. You too, brother. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Welcome to The Way I Heard It. This is a segment for you, the listener. Each episode, I reach out to a handful of listeners to ask them about a specific song and what it means to them and how they apply the message of that song in their own life. Some will make you laugh, others may make you cry with empathy, but each one is straight from the heart. So let's get right into this week's edition of The Way I Heard It. Hey everybody, it's Leah Green at DMB Mamas here to share with you the personal significance of one of my favorite and most meaningful songs, DMB's The Dreaming Tree. Thank you so much as always Drew at DMB On Demand for your kind heart, 
for your invites to Talk DMB, as well as relentless hard work on the site and podcast, and extraordinary patience, with me especially, as well as the opportunity to always talk about topics so relevant and aligned within the heart of DMB family. So friends, please feel free to go heat up that cup of tea or joe, toke that jimmy thang, or pour a glass of that dreaming tree vino before I expound on a little DMB dreaming tree talk for y'all. Cheers to dreaming tree! Around 1977 or 78, when I was a wee little thing, around the age of six, my father gifted me a shiny green copy of a beautiful tiny treasure that remains to be my favorite children's picture storybook of all time. Written by Shel Silverstein in 1964, The Giving Tree is a simple tale which revolves around an apple tree who had an unconditionally loving and emotionally endearing relationship with a little boy. The little boy loved this tree back in full expression in the way only a little boy could. He gathered her leaves and played king of the forest. He climbed her trunk, swung from her branches and ate her apples. As the boy grew and life began to become more complicated and adult-like, he began to visit the tree less and less. The tree missed the boy very much, and when the boy would return each time at various stages of his life, she would gift him parts of herself. Her apples to sell for money, her branches to build a house, and her trunk to create a boat. In the end, when she thought she had nothing left to give of herself when the old tired man returned for perhaps the very one last time, she discovered he needed nothing more than an old stump to rest his weary bones. Having this to provide, as she straightened herself up as she could in the end, it was affirmed, as it was stated throughout the book, that the tree was happy. Years later, off the 1998 release of DMB's Before These Crowded Streets, I first heard the deep and profoundly resonant song, The Dreaming Tree, which immediately conjured the same imagery and heart-wrenching feelings which described the color of my experience for the first time when I read The Giving Tree as a little girl, yet feeling the music in my body and depths of my soul coupled with the raw storyline of lyric in The Dreaming Tree, those feelings and thus the original Giving Tree story hit me a little deeper and two quickly became a comparative literary dream, more of a gossamer complicated yet clearly interwoven tale of two trees. In the beginning of the Dreaming Tree song's tale, I imagined that the old man who stands before us in the song could easily have been the same boy character in The Giving Tree, now the old man persona, reflecting on his long life and relationship with this apple tree, who was personified in feminine form. Standing here, the old man said to me, long, before these crowded streets, here stood my dreaming tree. He describes his time and years spent with the tree. Below it he would sit, for hours at a time, now progress takes away what forever took to find. If we equate growth, education, and expansion with progress, we often begin to lose sight of the value of life's simple experiences, like jumping in a pile of leaves, 
and it often takes a full rich life to even begin to appreciate this full circle experience of wishing we were kids again, sitting and swinging again underneath our giving and dreaming tree. All the years the boy was educated and taught the importance and value of hard work and money and family, a wife and home with a picket fence, he slowly forgot about <clears throat> the rich colorful pig pigments of youth and grew to take for granted the simple pleasure and days spent dancing with his giving dreaming tree. And now he's falling hard, he feels the falling dark, how he longs to be beneath his dreaming tree. As an old man feeling the looming presence of death's falling dark, he laments the time away from his tree and the deeply embedded yet scantily acknowledged guilt of the reaping of her gifts and the years perhaps squandering the trees and his own resources. He now sits on the old stump, reflecting back on life, feeling this heavy, nagging desire to be back, sitting underneath the breezy branches of giving, dreaming tree once again, back when the days were long and life was filled with simple pleasure. In deep nostalgia, he reflects on how his dreaming tree taught him how to conquer fear by climbing her heights and especially the moment when time stood still and he kissed his first girl underneath the shaded branches of that sacred dreaming tree. Underneath his tree, his mother whispered words which became an ingrained light bulb memory, words which echoed and he would remember for the rest of his life. No matter what the world, you'll always be my baby. Looking far back, he is longing for these days when life's needs were so simple and easily attainable, such as the pleasure of shaded shelter underneath one's favorite tree. The death of the dreaming tree is symbolic to the death of first love, the death of innocence and youthful joy, as well as mankind's stained hand in the stripping of Earth's natural resources being responsible for the overpowering and cruel death of nature and the harsh reality of how life now marked by the forced facing of this loss, in particular, the loss of the boy's sacred giving tree by his own hands and doing. In the giving tree book, the loss becomes even more complicated as the boy, now the old man, reflects back on his life and his relationship with the tree now forced to face and accept that the reason for the tree's demise was the result of his own conscious doing. Mommy, come quick. The dreaming tree has died. The air is growing thick, a fear he cannot hide. The dreaming tree has died. Once the tree dies, the king of the forest party is over, and the boy is forced to look back at the mess he's made. His inner landscape grows gray with metaphorical clouds, and all that's left is the inner vision of the reality of what his hunger for resource had resulted in. Once his beloved tree was all used up and gone, reflective of a drained, wilted, and depleted mother, once a divine mother aspect, loved, utilized, and leaned upon heavily like a suckling babe to his mama. Yet the boy had long forgotten the higher significance of the tree's higher calling and presence that she too had feelings and a purpose in life beyond the inherent calling to provide love and life-sustaining resources for her babies. 
In both Silverstein's Giving Tree Story and DMB's Dreaming Tree song, the tree is a metaphor for the unconditionally loving and generous divine feminine aspect and nature of Mother God, Earth, as well as Mother Nature and mankind's ultimate responsibility and the relentless imbalances, thoughtless stripping of natural resources, the incessant taking from Mother Nature, representative of the feminine principle, and the divine personification of the biblical Adam and Eve apple tree as the giving tree, symbolizing the totality of Mother Nature. Once the dreaming tree dies, the old man in his lamentation and despair begins a pleading conversation with God, particular the acknowledgement of the wickedness of his ways, the manipulations of his transactions, and admits with no chagrin that he is responsible for his greed and his lust for more and more. If the driver who should be in the passenger or more like the back seat, i.e., if this old man's ego had its own way, or if this false sense of self had the means to, it admits it would abandon God and claim the entitlements from the apple tree for himself, as any faithless man in fear would do, and say, it's all mine, and I don't need anyone else. <clears throat> in his own admission, the man humbly admits he would continue his constant taking of nature. The old man is having this open realization conversation at the end of life and is in full awareness that if he had the opportunity before loss and old age and death stood staring blankly at his face, he would perhaps abandon God just like he recognizes and admits he abandoned the unconditional love of the tree. In this moment, he catches a glimpse of shame while at the same time is begging for some sort of quick resolution response to the humiliating agony of this crossroads. The unbearable crisis he is now forced to awaken to was torturous without a response from God, even within the face of his own startling inner realization and admission of acknowledgement. Have you no pity? Won't you speak, please? I would leave you now if I had the strength to. I would leave you up to your own devices. The boy, who is now the old man, knows that God has an ultimate divine plan, and yet still grapples with issues of faith, leading to abandonment of God, or abandonment by God, which the two are but a reflection of the other. Faith is oftentimes, perhaps in this case, an issue pressed by insurmountable impatience of the proverbial pot of gold, or holy grail, or whatever earthly or spiritual quests or treasures are desired, or feared, or in lack thereof, that there is an impulse in the moment to run and seize or claim one's entitlements instead of waiting in patience and faith for God's proverbial food truck to come cruising around. In Dreaming Tree, we soon approach a beautiful girl who had everything she could have dreamed, she may have had an enriched upbringing with education and opportunity. She may have spent much of her time and resource living and loving and exploring life to its fullest when one day she woke to the startling realization that the progression of time had dulled her youth and beauty and vitality and vigor, and this path was accelerating. Perhaps she did not have a foundation of career or savings or a hefty retirement account, and she too looks back 
as the party of life winds down and she may find regret, or if not regret, grief of the apparent loss of time or opportunity as the middle of life kept marching forward. She imbibes to cope with this nagging pain and goes back to her father, whether in real time or memory, for guidance and assistance, and ponders this childhood past memory of her dreaming tree, or maybe, like in my case, the beloved Giving Tree children's book given to me so many long moons ago. We don't comprehend as children how, as we sit on our mother's or father's knee with their promises that you'll always be my baby, that one day we will more than likely feel the real loss and grief of this unconditionally loving being and presence in our life, our own personified version of God that while as kids hold a never-ending, truly eternal and unconditional presence within our perceptions. Even as I sat on my father's lap, on his old lazy boy recliner, less than two weeks before his passing in 2011, I could never have then comprehended the gravity of, and inevitable taking for granted, that the absence of his presence could actually leave an imprinted mark of void in my life. For me, it was like a light went out, an anchor was lifted, and I began to drift emotionally and helplessly at sea. I had lost my way home, a home that I had never even really known, or perhaps even found. Now my beacon was gone. I can't find my way home, and there is no place to hide. The dreaming tree has died. After the death of a parent, or the death of a child, or death of a pet or loved one, the consistent feelings of loss and abandonment are so constant that they may become disorienting and there is nowhere for the grief or pain to hide. We are often found naked, swimming and drowning in the web of loss and pain. In the lyrics, if I had the strength to, I would leave you up to your own devices. Will you not talk? Can you take pity? I don't ask for much. Won't you speak, please? This lyric reminds me of those of us who save our prayers for those really desperate moments when, like, when all else fails. It is often easier to abandon God when we're not feeling the faith or the clear-cut lessons we are all called upon, lessons we have co-created with God to learn and love and grow and evolve into more loving, soulful beings. In those moments, whether we're pleading with loved ones in the flesh, or when we're begging God or our dead ancestors to please reach out, guide and assist us, to provide an answer for that one huge request, or the solutions to our most pressing and urgent prayers and call-outs, it is helpful to remember that prayer is the asking of the question, and the silence of meditation is the stillness of the mind in the receptive quest for a response. Too much time speaks into how much time goes by before we are forced to wake up and smell the coffee or roses, to be supremely grateful for all we have been gifted with in this life, to always count our blessings even in the worst of times, and also speaks into how much time has gone by since we were young, when times were simple and we got to hang out playing with our friends and favorite tree.
Long before these crowded streets, here stood my dreaming tree. Take me back is urgently repeated five times, and save me please to me is a soulful plea and prayer to be brought back to a simpler day when times were effervescent and easier, back into our mama's arms or on our daddy's lap, before our problems became complicated, harsher and harder, and the world around and within us but exponentially older, yet not necessarily wiser. Save me, please, is striking me in this moment of reflection as particularly potent and timely as it reminds me of George Floyd during his tragic passing as he cried out to his own mama. I'm reminded of this plea, whether a cry out to our own mothers as representative of the feminine spirit and face of Mother God, as well as a plea of reminiscence and regret towards this unconditionally giving apple tree or dreaming tree he took advantage of while he also took for granted. I am reminded of the split between the divine masculine and feminine faces and aspects of God, and I believe during these times of uncertainty and challenge, we are subconsciously calling upon the sacred essence of our own personal sanctuaries and dreaming trees, to our own earth mother and life-affirming essence of the divine feminine principle of God, and we are asking her now to wake us, save us, help, heal, guide, and protect us now, please. Thank you everybody for joining me with my Dreaming Tree conversation and hope that you all have a wonderful evening and rest of your week. Bye-bye for now.